Cabbage Patch Kids. What girl didn't want them? Okay, maybe they didn't look like a real kid. They didn't feel like a real kid and didn't do anything really special. But in 1983, the insane popularity that surrounded these fabric dolls was nothing short of astonishing. They were so popular that in 1983, a Wisconsin radio DJ joked that a B-29 bomber would drop 2,000 Cabbage Patch Kids into Milwaukee County Stadium. People should bring catcher's mitts and nets to be able to catch the dolls as they fell. And whoever grabbed a doll needed to hold up their credit card to be photographed so they could be charged. At least 12 people showed up. Tonight's episode is one that should bring back a flood of memories for those of us raised in the time period of the 80s. I love the 80s so much because despite the Cold War and the threat of being nuked by Russians, we were entering the age of consumerism. It was a time of store credit cards, a time of expendable income, swimming pools, satellite dishes, VCRs, and just plain American excess. In reality, America's focus was on buying things they couldn't have before. We were chasing down the Donald Trumps of the world, visiting the Robin Leeches. Seeing excess for the rich and famous is something we desired as well. In the 80s, anything worth doing was worth overdoing. Things were looking up, and our parents wanted their piece of the pie. John Lennon was dead, Reagan was president, and we all want it to be a little bit more selfish. Welcome to the podcast that explores the stories you remember from the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Sam El Dangeroso, master of the Gooniverse, and this is How Cabbage Patch Kids Went to the Black Market. In a cabbage patch garden, all in a row. Magic cabbages live and grow With bunny bee crystals and love and joy They turn into a Cabbage Patch girl and boy Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the garden Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the sun And the most amazing thing about a Cabbage Patch Kid Is that each one grows to be a special one No one's like another, it's plain to see Each one is as different as you me. Their arms are open and their hearts are too. They're always ready for a hug from you. Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the garden Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the sun And the most amazing thing about a Cabbage Patch Kid Is that each one grows to be a special one. Every Cabbage Patch Kid needs the love of someone to... In 1980, John Lennon was shot and killed. By 1983, our parents saw life a lot differently. They lost all their heroes. First came the assassination of John F. Kennedy, then the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., then Elvis. Through this, our parents had one thing to lean on, the Beatles, a band that saved them from depression and confusion by giving them an outlet for their emotions. This episode is not about the Beatles, but to understand a lot of the craze behind the Cabbage Patch dolls, we got to understand... What was going on with our moms and dads by the time the 80s arrived? By 1980, they were a generation that witnessed some of the most depressing times in pop culture history. They dealt with Vietnam, the assassination of a president, the assassination of a civil rights leader. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, and Elvis was found dead in his bathroom. Talk about losing your heroes in violent ways. But through all of that, one thing that held a lot of the generation together was the music of the Beatles. The Beatles were the first real mainstream band to evolve with their audience. 
not only in fashion and sound, but in views and lifestyles. And sure, yes, they broke up, but there was a brief belief that they would be back together again one day. But that all ended on December 8th, 1980, when John Lennon, who had pushed a message of peace, love, compassion, and anti-capitalism, was shot by a fan outside of his apartment. This was the last straw for the boomer generation. Every hero, every political do-gooder, was gunned down violently, and the king of rock and roll died on his throne. At their lowest point was a broken generation that began to question their feelings on the world. But a new day dawns and a bright light blinds them, and in walks a charismatic leader ready to push America into a new hope on the backs of a booming economy through unadulterated hardcore capitalism. Ronald Reagan is ready to move America into an age of greed, depth, and technology, and arrives at a perfect time and reaches out his hand. Our parents, frustrated with their ethical heroes now dead, decide it's time to get back to work, make money, and take on as much debt as humanly possible. It's an odd way to trace the line to Cabbage Patch Kids, but explains how the desire to have what you want becomes an all-consuming mission. They buy in 100% with the message of excess, and they want it all, even for us. The demand for these toys was at such a fever pitch that parents were literally doing anything to get these dolls for their little girls. They slept in parking lots, mobbed shipment trucks, beat each other up, and lost all rational human decency and moral compass. But how did they even get so popular And why did our parents lose themselves in the chaos? Well, to make that long story short, almost all crazed inventions are stolen from someone else. And Xavier Roberts stole the idea for Cabbage Patch Kids from a woman named Martha Nelson. Martha had her own dolls named Doll Babies, whom you could adopt, complete with a birth certificate and adoption papers. Running with this idea, he brought it to an artist friend of his named Debbie Moorhead. Roberts changed the look of the doll babies, calling them little people. Little people became popular from trades and craft shows, and pretty soon, Xavier Roberts made enough money that he bought an old single-level hospital in Cleveland, Georgia, and converted it into Babyland General, where you can go in and see the babies being born, named, and put up for adoption. You may be wondering right now about Babyland General, but let's pause from the story for a second to talk about some personal things. As a Generation X male, almost every girlfriend I've ever had in my life, I had to take to Babyland General at some point in our relationship. Babyland, believe it or not, is still in operation to this day, and I'm very fortunate that I don't live very far. Babyland General is kind of a creepy place, especially for a guy. I mean, really, you walk into this hospital, it's treated as a hospital, everything is treated as real. Uh, You walk in... You go inside, you take a tour, and as your tour comes to the middle, the hospital opens up to this large area where from floor to ceiling is a magic cabbage patch tree. And as you watch this cabbage patch tree, every so many hours or minutes in the day, a nurse comes around and pulls cabbage patch dolls out of fabric cabbage patch plants and every girl and woman from six to 55 gasp in awe and joy at these newborns being born and of course you follow the process into the maternity ward and them being fed and being clothed just in time for the hospital store 
where you can purchase your very own Cabbage Patch Kid that's just been born with a simple adoption fee. I think it's a place any girl who was around in that era should honestly visit. As campy and creepy as it sounds for a guy, let's not pretend that a Visiting a G.I. Joe training facility wouldn't be on the bucket list item for most of us who grew up in the 1980s. So this is kind of a female version of that. And I think if you grew up at a time where you're fond of Cabbage Patch Kids, this is a great opportunity for you to kind of explore that feeling even further and that nostalgia. So I do encourage anyone to go to Babyland General. It is still in operation. It's not in a major place where you think it is. It is in the middle of a small, small town um, just outside of North Georgia. So uh, if you get an opportunity, definitely go by and try it. But eventually, Xavier Roberts came across men with more money, more influence, bigger dreams, and more profit. And they too rode and improved upon an idea that wasn't theirs. But alas, Xavier Roberts was wanting to take his little people to the next level. And the ability to do so came with a man named Robert Schaeffler. Robert Schaeffler was a licensing agent and envisioned little people into something much, much bigger than being stuck in a trade or craft show. Schaeffler had big dreams for the dolls, but there were two major problems. One was the name. Fisher-Price already owned little people. And secondly, the dolls needed a story. So the legend of the Cabbage Patch Kids was born. It was born from the mind of Schaeffler and his wife. The story involves bunny bees, who are bee-like rabbits, who magically pollinate a magic cabbage tree, which gives birth or, well, I guess hatches, these little cabbage patch kids. But they needed turmoil in the story. And they decided once these cabbage patch kids are born, they were then taken by a villain named Lavender McDade, who took the babies to work in a mine as slaves. Xavier Roberts, the doll's inventor, was written into the story as a 10-year-old boy who finds the magic cabbage tree and takes the cabbage babies and saves them from Lavender McDade by putting them up for adoption to loving families to save them from the slave work in McDade's mines. The story and the dolls were attractive to a company called Coleco, who took on production of the dolls after making some major changes. The first was slimming the dolls down and creating a soft stuffed body with a plastic head that was chubby with softer features, which were produced in their Chinese factories. The new look of the doll and the imaginative story were all huge selling points to girls around the world. The biggest selling point was the stolen idea, though, of adoptions. Looking at why these dolls became such a big hit comes back to the idea that Now a child had a doll they owned, not through a random gift, but because they would adopt them. There wasn't a price for Cabbage Patch dolls, but an adoption fee. His tagline was that his dolls were not for sale, but for adoption. And those adoption fees were somewhere between $30 and $1,000. Of all the uniqueness these dolls offered, the most important was the fact that little girls around the world could innocently adopt a doll just like they could a puppy. This made the dolls special. Kids of our generation found actual ownership. The dolls were also pre-named, giving the dolls even a more realistic feeling to young kids. But you know me better. This show isn't about the nice, warm, sweet effect it had on children, but the horrible effect that it had on our parents. In my opinion, the Cabbage Patch craze of parents was a prequel to the craze of Beanie Babies. 
It really goes from kids enjoying toys to parents who now have money and the means to relive the ability to have things maybe they couldn't when they were young. Maybe they were reliving how they wish their parents had treated their interest. But let's get this right. Cabbage Patch Kids were so much more than a fad. They were a mania, an obsession that ensnared not just gullible children, but also otherwise responsible adults who lost all sense of perspective over these plush playthings. Looking back, it's clear that the Cabbage Patch craze was an economic bubble fueled by frenzy speculation and blatantly baseless optimism. Bubbles are quite common, but bubbles over toys are not. And why did America lose its mind over fake babies? Well, one reason is from 1983 through 1990, it was a boom time for the economy and America was just coming out of a painful recession. In 1982, unemployment was in the double digits at over 10%. But by 1983, we were on the road to recovery as unemployment took a big dip going forward. And by 1987, unemployment was down to 5%. The timing of the Cabbage Patch Kids was practically perfect as families discovered they could work again, start paying bills, and have extra income. In an effort to leave those bad financial memories behind, many families focused on extravagance with credit cards. Cabbage Patch Kids first hit the market in 1982, but... Due to the recession, it wasn't a huge seller until Christmas 1983, when all hell broke loose. With the dolls came their own brand of diapers, baby clothes, bibs, bottles, and pacifiers. Every few years, there's been a hot toy of the season, and it's always been hard to get. And Cabbage Patch dolls were the first to start the trend. Because the dolls were slow sellers in 1982, there was no actual demand at Coleco's factories in China for them to produce large numbers. But in 1983, that all changed, when girls began to see the dolls in Sears Roebuck ads. The demand became so huge that the factories could not keep up, providing an issue with supply and demand. And much like Beanie Babies, once the supply chain is slow, the demand got out of control. Now, finding one became every parent's mission. On the psychological front, something happens to the adult brain when an item gets hard to get. There are a few things that come into play here to explain the Cabbage Patch Kid craze. The first is that we're evolved to have an outsized reaction to scarcity. Scarcity, whether it's food, shelter, love, or any item, has always been dangerous to our survival. Therefore, we've evolved so that when something is scarce, we have a large emotional behavior reaction of wanting that scarce item. The brain system involved in our senses of desire go into turbo mode. This is something we need. This is something we want. And we can't find it. That makes it a danger to our survival unless we find it. Secondly, we're susceptible to social messages that something is really, really good. And we deal with this a lot in social media today. And we see it in the news, the new toy that's coming out, uh, telling us what's going to be hot this season. You better get out and get it. They're not going to be able to find it. Don't wait to get this item. This is going to be the thing all the kids have. You don't want your kids left out. And the news was telling us that Cabbage Patch dolls were going to be a huge Christmas toy in 1984. Thirdly, many of us live with guilt 
about not being perfect parents, especially during the holiday season. Although the logic is flawed, it's easy to want an attempt to make up for all the nights you worked late with the best Christmas gifts you can find. And this is particularly an issue here in 1984, because in 1980s, and 1981, 1982, as we were talking about, unemployment was high. It was hard to find a good paying job. There wasn't a lot of excess income. And families were having a hard time being able to satisfy not only their important bills, but also frivolous activities and things that were fun to do. And the kids suffered for that. A lot of kids didn't get things uh, like they did in the late 80s and 90s. And a lot of us were too young to remember those scarcity years. But it's a big point in 1984 that as we're coming out of this big recession, that parents are trying to make up for bad Christmases of the past or making up for the time that they worked to get caught back up to the things that have happened to the past. And fourth, the biggest one, this is the one that affects your stock exchange, your everything. Okay. It's the fear of missing out and missing out on what other parents are getting their kids. Fear of missing out of your kid being able to have something that all their friends have. Fear of missing out on something that might even be valuable or the fear of missing out on something that's going to increase in value. And I think a lot of parents saw this in the Cabbage Patch Kids and how unique they were and how they were named and they were being adopted and all this other stuff and the unique combinations of hair, face, and eye color and whatnot. So a lot of parents were afraid of missing out on a value increasing on these dolls or just plain that Debbie didn't have one that Margot had. And so that pushed parents very hard too and it triggered so much in the brain to actually make them extremely competitive and trying to fulfill their need to overcome scarcity, to overcome the fear of missing out, to overcome guilt, and to over and to give in to the message that something is going to be hot and you need to get it now. It was kind of new for those kind of feelings in the 80s, but now it's pretty commonplace for that to happen all the time. So our parents' brains went preloaded with the competition to find the toy that all the kids will want. All the other parents were getting to not miss out on giving their kids something that makes up for all the bad parenting decisions they've made through the years. Gee, thanks, Mom and Dad. Of course, in short, as children, we just took advantage of the guilt to also receive the hottest toys our friends were getting at Christmas. Add all these things together with scarcity from Coleco, and you have a time bomb ready to go off. And go off it did. For the entire season, the Cabbage Patch Kid, a doll said to be so ugly, they're cute, was almost impossible to get. To satisfy this demand, Coleco promised to increase production significantly, but many store owners across the country were telling disappointed shoppers that more than likely they would not ever have enough to meet demand before Christmas. Even before Thanksgiving, people were lining up at stores, sometimes in the early morning, just for a chance to get one. One department store's advertisement promising the doll caused a thousand people to gather at the doors prior to the store's opening. The mob rushed in and trampled a store clerk when she opened the doors. A near riot happened at the Hills department store in Charleston, West Virginia, when 5,000 people fought for the store's 120 dolls. 
Five people were injured at Azares in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and the store manager armed himself with a baseball bat. Quote, They weren't acting like adults. They were acting like crazed maniacs, a shopper said after losing a battle for a Cabbage Patch kid in Manchester, Maine. In Syracuse, New York, an estimated 800 to 900 shoppers gathered in front of a store in the area's Three Hills department store before the stores opened at noon on Sunday, November 27th, hoping to get their hands on one of the store's promised 125 dolls. At Kitty City, the store assigned numbers to customers on first-come, first-served basis. All the 264 dolls were sold without incident. One woman did not find her local Cabbage Patch experience to be so orderly. In a letter to the editor, published on December 9th, she described her participation in the Cabbage Patch Massacre at the Hill store in Pencan Mall. Quote, As the key appeared to unlock the door between us and the unclaimed treasure, I felt myself being suffocated by the pressure of the aggressive hands of people behind me, running only to escape the rushing tidal wave that was coming. Caring not for the dolls, but for my safety, I was suddenly pushed to the floor with my shoes flying in different directions. As I was lying on the floor being trampled and calling for help, I feared for my life. I arose, stockings footed, face bleeding, and knees badly bruised. A December 2nd edition in the post-standard Ask What Cabbage Patch Mania said about humanity, quote, which raises the question of how people would react if they were faced with a real crisis, like a shortage of food. If adults would attack something as simple as a popular doll, what would they do to get this last loaf of bread? None of this mattered to frantic parents who, not wanting to give a pre-sale receipt in place of a doll to their kids, poured over newspaper classified, which offered Cabbage Patch Kids for double or triple the original price. Imitation dolls, though, called Flower Kids, were also being sold. By New Year's, Coleco had sold over 3 million Cabbage Patch dolls. Then the worst thing imaginable happened. Like most things in life, when there is a high demand and a low supply, someone will always step in to fill the hole. And at 10 a.m., customs agents carrying search warrants raided a warehouse at 641 West 27th Street and a storefront at 1133 Broadway, all operated by a company called the UKS Company. Michael C. Kaufman, Director of Public Affairs for the Customs Service, said that no arrest had been made, but that 20,000 imitation Cabbage Patch dolls had been confiscated. The service refused to identify the principals in Yukita's company or explain why no one had been arrested, but the toys were being made in Taiwan. Mr. Kaufman said the toys were valued at over $400,000 and they had been made in Taiwan and had been sold on the streets for $20 each as Cabbage Patch dolls. Paintings, jewelry, fur, electronics had always had a black marketplace where the less advantaged or desperate could go to fake their way into keeping up with the Joneses. The desperation for parents to make their little girls happy filtered out into the streets. Counterfeit Cabbage Patch kids were now being sold in parking lots and street corners for the real deal. Desperate parents, afraid to come home with empty hands to their kids on Christmas, dived into the world of street markets. Most parents thought these dolls were stolen, but desperation weighed heavier as they handed over cash for what they believed to be stolen goods. The problem was, kids noticed the forgeries instantly, where it was hard for a father 
working at a bus station to have any clue at all. The issue with the actual dolls was the material they were stuffed with, which was highly flammable stuffing that was extremely cheap for the forgers to buy. The dolls sold for $10 at flea markets and street vendors as well, versus the $30 to $60 for the original price. The materials used for the dolls in many cases included a pesticide, which was hazardous if ingested, and the flammable materials in the stuffing caused the dolls to smell like kerosene. The black market fiasco scared the industry. Now dolls were being made and had toxic ingredients which could endanger a child who had one. A major crackdown was brought forth to rid the streets of these flammable toxic dolls from Taiwan. As the streets were being cracked down by law enforcement, the black market versions of the dolls began to dry up. But now with the demand being met by Coleco, the company was then capable of expanding its Cabbage Patch Kids stronghold to official merchandise, clothing, Halloween costumes, lunchboxes, figurines, you name it. The drive for the merchandise was further pushed in 1984 when the company introduced the Cabbage Patch Kids first Christmas VHS. Of course, this pushed into the cartoon adaptation on Saturday mornings for the dolls. Now the dolls were living, breathing through animation. Now we could see the real-life story play out on our TVs, and we could see the dolls' real personalities shine through. Within five years, Coleco sold 65 million Cabbage Patch dolls, and the company ran strong for 10 years. By 1994, the fad and the mania was winding down. The dolls were no longer hard to get, and the demographic had gotten older. Girls who were 5 to 10 years old were now 15 and 20 years old. One thing that will always remain to be true is that dolls have a vicious, short life cycle. And by 1994, Coleco was bankrupt. And after 85 million dolls being produced in that time, the scarcity and rarity that drove our parents into a craze was non-existent. Today, Cabbage Patch Kids in whole are hardly rare. Many of the rare designs early on, which gave a doll its uniqueness, was copied 100 times over by 1994. You think we would have learned something through this experience, but we really haven't. Beanie Babies and Tickle Me Elmo went through the same craze cycles and today are worth virtually nothing. But the makers know how our brains work, and almost every holiday season brings about the same psychology that has tripped us up for our lifetime. Scarcity, hype, the fear of missing out. It seems to always want to win. We are flawed for sure. There is no doubt that the Cosmic Bakers took us out of the oven a little too early. But there will never be a feeling that replaces winning the treasure in the battle of holiday toys. If it's the new hot thing, we want it for our kids. Because we don't want our kids to be left out. Besides, we learned it from our parents after all. Now, you should know me well by this point in the podcast. And... And we can't leave out of here without the discussion of Garbage Pail Kids, which was the male version of the Cabbage Patch Kid craze. Back in the 80s, these things came out from a company called Tops, And they were stickers, and they basically were parody of Cabbage Patch Kids. Now, the funny part about this is that Tops reached out to Coleco to try to do something in a trading card way with Cabbage Patch dolls. But Coleco blew them off. And in return, Tops decided that they would just go ahead and do a parody of the dolls and see if it got popular. 
And it did. I remember being very young and having these garbage pail kids and being a big deal. And everybody was collecting every series and, you know, it was series one, two, three, and four. And I remember, uh, one of the first ones was Adam bomb, which was a kid whose head was blowing up a cabbage patch kid whose head was blowing up. And, uh, that was kind of a big deal if you could get your hands on that. So garbage pail kids became kind of an obsession for boys and it went on for many, many years. Um, unfortunately they made a movie. And uh, I am going to be reviewing that movie for a fun bonus episode uh, sometime soon. The problem is, is that it's very hard to find the Garbage Pail Kids movie. And, and you know what? From what I've seen and I remember of it, it's probably the worst movie ever made. I believe that the movie had a million dollar budget and made exactly $1.6 million at the box office. Uh, and it was considered a, a major, major failure. And Tops actually had nothing to do with the movie. They didn't really want to do the movie, but, um, you know, Iron Strikes Hot, a production company wants to do a movie. And uh, right now, the hottest thing at that point was Garbage Pail Kids. And uh, so they made a live action movie. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but if you want to go and look at the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a review of zero, which <laughs> they believe is the worst or one of the worst reviewed movies on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, Garbage Pail Kids were appealing because it made fun of the craze, it made fun of the dolls. Uh, the artwork was really cool. That actually came from an idea or a, a, a product that Tops had done earlier on that was called Wacky Packages, which was art that made fun of basically consumer items. Um, so mac and cheese and bleach and all these things that you would get at the grocery store was kind of made fun of in a parody on wacky packages. And you would think that that it would be silly and nobody would be interested, but boys love that stuff. And the artwork was really cool. Like I said, we had several series that came out. I think it got up to series nine or 10 or something like that. But you know, you would collect these cards and trade them for ones that you didn't have. And it seemed like a little bit of a ripoff because it would be the same garbage pail kid with a different name uh, and you had like three, four or five different versions of the name. And so some people wanted to collect those. But, uh, you know, that was a really wild time because there was a lot of schools and uh, that didn't want the cards at their school. And so that made them more popular and parents hated them and that made it more popular. And Garbage Pail Kids were really a part of pop culture in a very short amount of time where we really collected these things because everybody else said we couldn't have them. And that they weren't good and they were unhealthy for us to have. And they could be very violent and gross. I mean, I would say that Garbage Pail Kids really were the epitome of gross um, gross art, really, for young people. <laughs> Think that how old we were looking at some of these uh, trading cards is pretty wild. But Tops, of course, known for their baseball cor cards and bubblegum, uh, did the same thing with Garbage Pail Kids. And they just said, hey, we'll just do a parody if they don't want to do an, a... Uh, collection of you know cabbage patch kids then we'll do garbage pail kids and i i'll tell you what i think probably the garbage pail kids probably were more popular than the cabbage patch trading cards probably ever would have been so it's really interesting how that works out but uh the movie was terrible they actually did like these um small people in huge i guess you would say like like a latex huge heads i mean they were ugly as sin i mean these things were frightening frightening really and the story centered around a garbage can that comes from outer space 
that's carrying a couple of garbage pail kids. Uh, and a kid comes across, um, I guess it's this trash can from outer space ends up in a antique store, uh, which the owner warns the kid don't touch and don't mess with it. And of course he does. And when the top comes off, here's these garbage pail kids that have come to, you know, wreak havoc. Um, but, uh, it was a terrible movie, but I am going to watch it and review it just for fun. Um, one of the things that I'll try to do here for pop culture reasons is I'll try to either take an album or take, you know, I might go back and listen to Tiffany's album or Debbie Gibson's album, but I'm going to try to find a version of the Garbage Pail Kids movie and actually sit down and watch it. May try to force friends to watch it as well, to watch it with me just as a nostalgic thing. But uh, if you know where I can actually download or stream the Garbage Pail Kids movie, I would love to sit down and watch it. They were going to make a part two, but the part one, I think it just (laughs) sold the deal that uh, sealed the deal that they were not going to be making any more Garbage Pail Kid movies. That That's done. But um, it's fun. You know, you can go on YouTube and watch people who have bought old boxes of Garbage Pail Kids open them. And it's funny because, like, I, honest to God, I watch these videos and I see the same card. Like, it seems like that there was only, like, maybe like 10 to 12 cards, really. And the rest were just duplicates. Like, there were 12 different like garbage pill kids for that series, but that was it. So when you're opening up 48 packs, you're seeing the same 12 over and over again, just with different names. I don't know. They took advantage of us, but that goes back to things like muscles and all of that stuff and mad balls, which we'll do some stuff on those too. Uh, it's hard to find history sometime on toys. Um, sometimes it's just a really simple write up about it and you got to kind of really, really dig with toys. But, um, you know, Hey, Garbage Pail Kids was a big deal for for kids uh, my age for boys. And, of course, you'd take the sticker, you'd peel them off and stick them on things and all that. But uh, I think you have to bring up Garbage Pail Kids when you talk about Cabbage Patch Kids because they almost go hand-in-hand. One's a a more boy version and one's a more girl version and and whatnot. But it's funny. I sit down and talk to my wife about her Cabbage Patch Kids and – you know, she always asks me what the episode is going to be on. When are you going to do? And I said, no, I think I'm going to do, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids. And you can just tell, like, it took her right back to being young. And she was telling me about uh, her kids, were, which were Winston and um, I think, like, Teresa or something. Rita. Rita. Which was interesting when she said that. Rita. It's an interesting name for a doll. But anyway, uh, you could tell. She said, you know, when I was thinking about that, I haven't thought about that in years. And now I'm thinking about opening them up and getting my adoption papers. In fact, she said she believes that she still has her adoption papers, which I think is really, really cool. I don't know where the dolls are, but uh, I do wonder if she can find those adoption papers. It'd be really cool to see those. And we may post them on our Facebook page. So make sure you go by and see that. Uh, Of course, 21 years on Facebook. And uh, join up. Be a part of it. We put a lot of commercials there and ads and things like that that are kind of fun to, to you know, be a part of. And there are some conversations, and then we'll post the uh, episodes there. So if you're a Facebook person, it's a great opportunity to uh, be a part of the community and have fun. Uh, please, you know, go join. Uh, also, please tell people about these uh, episodes. 
We'd like to grow. We'd like to get more popular. It's not so easy in the world of podcasting. I mean, now we've got celebrities getting into podcasting. And listen, I love a lot of these celebrity podcasts, but, you know, they're bringing 20, they're bringing, you know, five, 10 million followers from their other accounts to podcasting, which is nice, but now we're trying to fight for more airspace against celebrities who are doing their own podcasts. So any help you can do is, is very welcome. Uh, please, you know, let me know if you want me to do an episode. I've got a lineup of several episodes I'm trying to work out. Um, feel free to send me a uh, suggestion. I love hearing them from you guys. It always helps me kind of get back into what you guys want to hear and um, get season two in a better pos- position for you guys to love what you're listening to. So I, I appreciate you. I thank you. Please don't forget to go to the Facebook page. Please don't forget to subscribe. Please don't forget to tell other people. Uh, we have a lot of fun here. We want to keep it going. And I tell you guys all the time that I do this because my kids are young and I want them to grow up one day and find dad's voice on a hard drive somewhere talking about his childhood. And hopefully they light up and enjoy it. So boys, if this is one of the episodes, don't forget, I love you. Everyone, I love you. And I thank you for listening to this episode and listening to 21 Years. Please continue to do so. I hope you have a wonderful week. Next episode will be coming soon. Keep an eye out. Thanks again. This is 21 Years. I'm your host, Sam El Dangeroso, Master of the Gooniverse, signing off. In a cabbage patch garden, all in a row, magic cabbages live and grow. With bunny bee crystals and love and joy, they turn into a cabbage patch girl and boy. Cabbage patch kids, growing in the garden. Cabbage patch kids, growing in the sun. And the most amazing thing about a cabbage patch kid is that each one grows to be a special one. No one's like another, it's plain to see. Each one is as different as you and me. Their arms are open and their hearts are too. They're always ready for a hug from you. Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the garden Cabbage Patch Kids Growing in the sun And the most amazing thing about a cabbage